Good morning, everybody. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Wilson. If you've ever met before, really glad you're here with us this morning. And if you're on the live stream, glad you're there too. So we're in a series right now called Becoming People Of. And then all four weeks, we're focusing on a different virtue, a different characteristic of God. Um, hope, joy, peace, and love. So this is week three, Becoming People of Peace. And the backdrop, even zooming out one more layer of the series, right now, as a church, we're celebrating Advent. And Advent is um, a period of time for the four Sundays before Christmas that Christians, for for a long time now, have have set apart and kind of dedicated these four weeks to remembering that Jesus is coming back. So Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival, coming, or appearing. And so for the four weeks leading up to Jesus' first coming, right? That's what we celebrate on Christmas Day, that Jesus came. Woohoo! It's amazing, you know? Like, we don't celebrate presents. We're celebrating once a year that the broken, crapped-out state of the world got addressed by Jesus, that Jesus came and saved us from our sin, our brokenness, and all, everything we were stuck in, Jesus came and made a way for us to get out of that. So for the four weeks leading up to us celebrating that, we're remembering and contemplating and reminding ourselves that he's coming back. That we are living, that time isn't going like this. You know, that's not how time works. Time works like this, beginning and an end. <laughs> The earth was created. God had amazing intentions for the earth. They got messed up. Jesus came and reclaimed those intentions. And now he's empowered us to continue to bring justice and, um, and the reclamation, if that's even a word, of his intentions to earth. But he's going to come back. There's a, there's a linear progression happening here. And so the question we're kind of asking this month as we meditate on the fact that Jesus is coming back is, who are we becoming As we wait for him to come back, who are we becoming? And as followers of Jesus, we believe that our identity doesn't come from our behavior. We don't believe that we get our identity from our experiences or our behavior or our feelings or our thoughts or our emotions or what other people say about us or our nationality or our race or our occupation. That's not where we get our identity as followers of Jesus. We get our identity from Jesus himself. We get our identity from what he has done for us and what God says about us. And so in this series, we're not, what we're saying is we want to behave, we want to become like who we already are. As a follower of Jesus, you have the hope, joy, peace, and love of Jesus deposited deep within you. But we get invited into co-laboring, into walking with Jesus, through this process of sanctification and becoming more like who we already are. Does that make sense? You should be going like that because that's not how the world works, you know? <laughs> it's a mystery. We're becoming more like who we already are. So this week, we're talking about peace, okay? Um, the focus for my sermon today is peace. And here's my first point. Jesus' peace is different from American peace. Jesus' peace is different from American peace. 
Turn with me or look at the screen behind me at John um, 14, 27. Peace, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So when he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, he's not saying that like, hey, when I walk out of this room, you will then have my peace. I have given it to you. He's not even saying when I die, you'll have my peace. He's saying after I resurrect, when I ascend to heaven and you have the opportunity to have faith in the risen Lord and I send the Holy Spirit, then you will have my peace. You'll get my peace when, when peace I leave with you. When he leaves, he's talking about when he leaves earth completely. He's going to leave his peace with his followers. And then he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I do not give to you as the world gives. What Jesus is saying is what he has to offer us is fundamentally and categorically different from what the world offers us. The world wants to offer you its bastardized form of peace. And if we're not, and also America wants to offer you its form of peace. And if we're not careful to delineate what is Jesus's peace, then we'll end up receiving a peace that's just an imposter. And we will be troubled and we will be afraid because we haven't received the right peace, Jesus's peace. And now, just a quick side note, I'm not trying to like, this isn't a, this point um, Jesus' peace is different from American peace is not meant to be some type of big critique against America. It's just to point out to us that countries don't get born again. Okay? Cultures do not get born again. People get born again. And then people create culture. So in the United States of America, there is kingdom culture, but there is also satanic culture. <laughs> In Afghanistan, there is some kingdom culture, and there's also worldly, demonic, satanic culture. That's all I'm pointing out when I say that Jesus' peace is different from American peace, okay? So what is American peace? Or another way to say it would be like, what is worldly peace? Well, zooming into our country and our context, in America, I think we use, and in our, our culture, we use the word peace in kind of primarily two different ways. Number one, we use peace to refer to the absence of conflict, right? That's like, if we say um, that two countries are at peace, what are we saying? There's no war. The war has ended. If you're saying that you and your spouse are at peace with each other, what you're talking about is there's no conflict. So it's not referring to, it's, it's referring to something that is, it's saying this is not happening. It's almost like stating a negative, an absence of something. That's like one of the really, really common ways we use it. Another really common way we use it is to describe a personal state, like of contentment or happiness. And by the way, neither of these are bad. Um, but someone might say they're at peace after completing a big project at work, right? Or maybe like, after your kids go to bed at night 
You're like, finally, there's some peace and quiet in the house, you know? Like, I can chill now. Um, maybe you'd say, if someone made the statement, I'm at peace with the decision, what they'd be saying is, I'm settled. I'm good. I, I don't feel anxiety anymore about this. So the point is, our most common use is for, for peace in America and in the world in general is that it's the absence of something. It's the absence of conflict. It's the absence of anxiety. And ultimately, this makes peace kind of like passive and, and responsive and weak. And ultimately, what it leads me to, at least, is like I'm always waiting for peace to end. We're kind of like, when is the peace going to end? Rather than... Um, what I want to propose to you is the biblical mindset on peace. Last thing I'll say is about American peace or whatever is that it makes sense when you consider where our English word even comes from. The term peace originates from the Anglo-French word pes. Not piss, okay, pes. And the old French word pice, meaning peace, reconciliation, silence, or agreement. The Anglo-French term pes itself comes from the Latin word pax, meaning peace, compact, agreement, treaty of peace, tranquility, absence of hostility, or harmony. So we're thinking of, what you might think of when I say pax is pax romana. And that's a historical term to refer to the 200 years of peace in the Roman Empire, where Rome, the Roman military was so powerful that there was like not war wasn't happening. And this is actually the period that Jesus lived in. And this was like a saying, people put their hope in Pax Romana, like Rome has come, it's created a, a safe world that we can have peace in. Now the problem is, Jesus wasn't a Roman, okay? Jesus's first language wasn't French or Greek. Jesus's worldview and his religion wasn't based in a Greek-Roman worldview, Jesus was a Hebrew. Jesus was a Jew. And so when he talks about peace, he's not coming with Pax Romana in mind. He's not coming with a Greek-Roman worldview about peace being the absence of something. He's coming with a Hebrew worldview and, and from Hebrew Jewish culture that is shaped and formed by the Hebrew Bible. And so fundamentally, when Jesus comes talking about the peace he is giving, he is talking about something that includes the Greek-Roman concept, the American concept, but it actually transcends it. Here's how Derek Morphew puts it. Uh, theologian, in New Testament, he was a PhD in New Testament studies. He says, while peace denoted the absence of war to the Greek mind, in Hebrew thinking, it denoted wholeness, well-being, perfection, and prosperity. So what this means is it included the idea of the absence of conflict, but it points to the presence of something better in the conflict's place. It's not just that nothing is missing, it's completeness is here. So when Jesus talks about peace, He's not, like, does it make much sense to just be like, my absence of conflict I give to you? <laughs> no. He's saying there's something of substance that he is offering to us when he says, my peace I give to you. 
Let's look at how this um, word is even used in the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew word is shalom or salem. There's different words that get translated peace or that are u- Hebrew words that end up getting translated as peace. The two most common are shalom and salem. And let's look at how they're used in the, in the Old Testament. And again, this is where Jesus' concept of what peace is would have gotten shaped. So listen to this. In Job 5.24, here's what it says. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing is missing. The word peace isn't in there at all. But the word shalom is. The idea of nothing is missing. You have, there's, there's um, completeness in your flock. In 1 Kings 9.25, the word shalom is used. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 1 Kings. That's the order of the Bible. 1 Kings 9.25, three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord burning incense before the Lord along with them. And so shalomed the temple obligations. And so fulfilled the temple obligations. So again, here it's not talking about something that's not there. It's talking about the precise opposite. Something is there, fullness. Check out Psalms uh, 29, 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with shalom, with peace. So here, the, I, it's a synonym for strength. Peace is a synonym for strength. Psalm thirty-four, fourteen. Turn from evil and do good. Seek shalom and pursue it. So it's, here it's being compared to doing good. And it's not even the opposite of, of seeking evil which would be kind of like, it's, it's not the absence of seeking evil, it's the opposite of seeking evil. Seek to do good is seeking shalom. Last one, uh, Psalm 35, 27. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say the Lord be exalted. Who, may they always say the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. Let me read that again. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. So this is saying God delights in our well-being. God delights in our shalom. Something of substance here. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of something better. That's part of the idea. That's like the core of the idea of shalom. Um, So my point in everything I'm saying is this. Peace is powerful and restorative. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of blessing. Peace is a stabilizing force. And what did Jesus say? My peace I leave with you Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. So this thing that Jesus gives to us should distinguish us from the world. The peace that Jesus gives us should make us 
just, when it manifests, it should be like, oh my goodness, wow, that is something from another world in that person. I heard a story recently about a man who clearly lived from a different world. It was about a, um, a group of British POWs, prisoners of war in World War II. They were captured by the Japanese and just treated horribly. If you've ever seen, you know, Unbroken or done any, any research on World War II and seen like the, the conditions that prisoners of war were treated in by the Japanese was just like atrocious. It was like worse than concentration camps type of thing or just as bad by the Nazis. And part of the deal was that um, the Japanese have an honor-shame culture. And so for them, for a soldier, a warrior from their country to surrender would mean total shame in Japan. So they would rather die than surrender. They would literally take their own life before they would surrender. So you got these Englishmen who are surrendering, and the Japanese just have like zero respect for them and treat them like animals, horrendous conditions. The conditions are so bad that the prisoners of war and in the internment camps are literally like turning on each other. And it's like a dog-eat-dog -dog type of environment. Um, they're having them build. One of the main things they did with the, the Japanese, their prisoners of war, was have them build like railroads and bridges through the jungle to try and connect mainland China like throughout uh, Thailand and Southeast Asia, where Japan had been controlling. And there's a group of soldiers, one, English POWs, who one day upon completing a project, the Japanese officer did like a tool count and he collected everyone's shovels and there was one shovel missing. And so the, the um, Japanese officer just like freaks out. And I feel like it's kind of duty bound to say this, like this whole story I'm telling paints the Japanese in a terrible light, but that's, Japanese people are amazing, okay? Let's all just say that in case someone's listening. This is Japanese, you're amazing. Thank you for Toyota. <laughs> and technology and everything else amazing you give to the world, okay? Sorry that you're the bad end of this story. Um, at that, he tells all the, shovel, all the soldiers to give their shovels up, and they count the shovels, and one of the shovels is missing. And so the Japanese officer just freaks out, starts to berate them, pulls his gun out, is pointing at everyone's head, saying, I will kill each of you if you do not give me the missing shovel. You know, because like, he thinks they're probably trying to escape with that shovel or going to, like, fight with that shovel, the beat up the guards or whatever, rebel. And he, it just goes on like this for, for minutes of him berating them, pointing a gun at each of their heads, saying, I'll kill all of you, I'll kill all of you. Finally, one soldier steps forward and says, I took the shovel. And immediately, that Japanese officer starts to just beat him mercilessly and ends up beating him to death. He begins to kick his dead corpse right there. The other soldiers, you know, just in shock, they pick his body up and carry him back to the prison, the camp. And when they get there, they count the shovels and realize that it was a miscount. All the shovels are there. No shovel was missing. And they're just bewildered, like, well, why did he step forward? What happened? And they begin to remember that this man was the one obvious Christian in the group. He was the one guy that never turned on the others. He was the one that sought the welfare and love of, each, of, the, of his fellow inmates and his fellow officers, even in the worst gruesome conditions. And what ended up happening was like a kind of like little mini revival broke out in this 
prisoner of war camp because of this. Like, it's like their humanity was called back to the surface and they started tending the ill. They weren't even taking care of each other if they were sick. They started taking care of each other if they were sick. And all kinds of amazing stuff culminating with when they were liberated by the Allied forces, they formed a human barrier in between the rescuing troops and their Japanese captors to say, no, 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 don't kill them. We forgive them. Don't, like they literally forgave their captors and mercilessly beat them. And so what I want to propose to you is what that guy had, the world did not give to him. <laughs> it, the peace he had inside from his relationship with Jesus wasn't just the absence of something. It was something of substance. It was something that made him different and powerful and able to live with an inner completeness and an inner wholeness that is otherworldly. Biblical peace, Jesus' peace is different from American peace. Here's my next point. Holy Spirit encounters with Jesus give us peace. Holy Spirit encounters with Jesus give us peace. Now it's almost um, tertiary and unnecessary to say Holy Spirit encounters because with Holy Spirit encounters with Jesus because just by a show of hands, who is 2,000 years old in the room? Right? No, no, it's okay. Who like has met, met Jesus before he was crucified? None of us, Right? What that means is, but who here would say they've met Jesus and encountered Jesus? What that means is you've had a Holy Spirit encounter with Jesus. Like that's the only way that you could have encountered him was through the Holy Spirit. So it was, my point is here that it was through a supernatural encounter with Jesus that you got peace in the first place. The, the, Biblical story, the story we're living in is that God created humanity with peace in a good garden, with a, in, in a good state. But then humanity rebelled and died and lost its peace. And, then G, and, and fundamentally, we were no longer at peace with ourselves or with God. But then Jesus comes and he restores that peace. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since you've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the way that we got peace to begin with was through a supernatural encounter with someone who died and rose from the dead thousands of years later. We had an encounter with that person thousands of years later through the Holy Spirit. So it's through a supernatural encounter that we get peace in the first place. Are you following me? This is why we need to continue to value supernatural encounter with Jesus for our entire walk. Because that's how we got into the kingdom. That's how we got salvation, was through a supernatural encounter. We need to continue to desire and seek and ask God for supernatural encounters. We live in a super, um, a culture that has where intellectualism has dominated our faith. And that's just the reality. And intellectualism is good and knowledge is good, but without experience, it really leaves you pretty empty and dead. I had a, I had a series of weeks in, um, that, just con that just ended on December 2nd where I was just feeling pretty dead spiritually. I was feeling empty. And, you know, I could have told you during that time, I believe Jesus is a real person who lived and died and rose from the dead. I would have said that and I would have, you know, be I, I believed that and everything. I had, I had that knowledge, you know, 
And logically, even that brought me some assurance. Like, okay, I, it's undeniable that Jesus is a real person that lived and died. No one, no atheist, anyone will disagree with that. What we believe is, is crazy and supernatural is just that he rose from the dead. And so I, I, I was like, yeah, okay, that's not too bad of a leap. I'll, I'll keep trusting that, that he rose from the dead. There's all these people that believe it too. You know, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep going. But inside, I had, I had no peace. I was wrestling with like, I, I, and this has really never happened to me, to be honest, before. But I was wrestling with like doubts about my faith. Just feeling like disconnected from my relationship with Jesus. And just kind of like, and honestly, that made me feel very scared. Like, why am I even feeling that? Like, that's unco- I've never felt that before. Why am I feeling that? Well, on December 2nd, there was a ballet recital here at the church in the multipurpose room. And uh, a woman in the church, Amber, who sometimes dances on stage, does a free ballet class for kids in the church. And so my daughter um, does them, and I was there for my daughter's ballet recital. And the second group of girls that were dancing, the kind of like older group, like age range 8 to I don't know what, were dancing. And... I saw my mom standing up in the back of the room. Everyone else is sitting. My mom was standing up in the back of the room with her hands on her heart, weeping. And I was like, come on, mom. (laughs) And I literally, sorry I didn't tell you the story in advance, mom. I uh, turned to my wife and I was like, look at my mom crying. (laughs) Ha ha, you know. (laughs) Like, that's funny or cute or whatever. And, And Jen was like, no, we were all weeping during, she was like, I was weeping during rehearsal. And I turned back and looked at these girls dancing. And I, I mean, I was rebuked by my wife, obviously. <laughs> and I was like kind of called to reality. It was like, snap back to reality. <laughs> like, and I, I looked back at the stage and I looked at it with different eyes. I didn't look at it with the eyes of, I believe that Jesus was a historical person. <laughs> And I'll trust that he rose from the dead. I I looked back at it, and it was like I saw a portal to Jesus himself is how I felt. It was like, you know, like, what do you associate young kids with? Purity, innocence, beauty, right? It was like, as I witnessed their purity, and they're they're dancing to the song, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our, our hearts adore. And I looked at these girls dancing to that. And it was like I had a portal into heaven, into seeing Jesus. I was like, oh my goodness. Jesus, you're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. You were, like, I'm just seeing a glimpse of your purity and your beauty right now. And my heart was just, like, wrecked. I was like, oh, my gosh, this isn't just an intellectual confidence that Jesus was real or something. (laughs) He's a real person, and he encountered me in that moment. And, man, the peace that came at that point surpassed understanding. Worldly peace wants understanding, But kingdom peace, Jesus' peace, surpasses understanding. I was just moved deeply and have felt like I've just been living from that moment since then. I can just pause at any moment and be like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're beautiful, you're amazing. I love you. Call to me, God. Draw me towards yourself. I just want to be with you. 
but it was from an encounter through the Holy Spirit with Jesus that that type of peace was given to me. So we need encounters with the Holy Spirit if we want to have completeness, if we want to have shalom, if we want to not be troubled, if we want to not be afraid. I want to take some time to pray now that God would fill us with his peace. And I want to give some space now for his peace to enter the room and to touch us and to minister to us. You know, the Holy, I've been preaching and the Holy Spirit's been moving through me, but he also wants to kind of like transcend preaching right now for the next 10 minutes. And he himself wants to come and minister in power and love and in peace to people in this room. So Holy Spirit, we welcome that ministry right now. We welcome that ministry. I feel like I'm just supposed to give a message in tongues. So I'm going to do that, and then we'll see what interpretation comes. And what a message in tongues is, it's when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we pray exactly what God wants prayed, and then we get an interpretation of what was prayed so that we can all join in with what heaven was praying. Okay, so if you've ever interpreted a tongue in our church before, I want you to pay attention right now because maybe you're going to get the interpretation If you've never interpreted a tongue in our church before, then I'm not going to welcome you to come give the interpretation because i got to create some kind of boundaries here. So, Jim Hunter, did you feel like you got anything there? You come up here and pray it? If so, if not, it's okay. Okay. Who, who else felt like the, anyone? I thought I discerned that you had it, but I didn't. Jordan or mom, dad, Kendra, Marcus. Maybe I got the interpretation. That's biblical. I did. I felt, or I, I had an impression as it happened. So you guys stand. I want to pray the impression over us. And let's see what else God wants to do before we close. Here's what I saw. I saw wind rushing. So Father, we welcome your wind to rush. Jesus, You said you gave us your peace. Welcome the rushing wind, the Pentecost peace.
Yeah, just put your hands out to receive. I welcome Pentecost peace to be released in the room right now. In Jesus' name, the rushing wind that came at Pentecost Lord, give us fresh empowerment for mission, for you. Where my friends have lost their peace, Lord, I release fresh peace to come in Jesus' name. I say strength to the weary heart right now in Jesus' name. I release shalom from God, from heaven over you right now. Yeah, just to confirm what he was saying about wind when he was speaking in, in tongues, I saw a wind rush through and it cracked. And it was very loud. So yeah, Lord, we just thank you for the wind of your of the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. It's here. The wind of the Spirit of God is blowing upon you right now. Over your hearts, over your hearts, the places that uh, have dust over it, that are uh, places of pain, places of woundedness. The Lord is blowing over that and he's filling that up with his presence right now in the name of Jesus. So if you're experiencing God's presence right now or you're really desiring peace, would you just come down to the front so we can just pray for you a little bit more? If you're just desiring peace or really sensing God's presence, welcome you to come down. Just wanna bless you for a couple more minutes. If you're not coming down front, but you're confident to pray for people that are down front, why don't you make your way down here and lay hands on a couple people and prophesy over them and bless them and encourage them. But Father, I thank you for your peace. We say more in Jesus' name. More for those hungry people who are coming forward for more of your peace. Say more, Lord. Yeah, as you come down, just Feel whoever you're drawn to, just begin to bless them, speak any words over them you feel like the Lord's giving you. <laughs> yeah, Tyler, go ahead and just turn on background music. We're going to pray for the people down front, and if you want prayer, just sneak down here and we will, someone will pray for you. But um, if not, I just bless you. I say grace and peace over you, completeness and wholeness and well-being from heaven. I say, re I release that to rest on your life in Jesus' name. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.